Welcome to I Am Nala podcast, brought to you by Nala Feminist Collective or Nala Femme, where we discuss changes needed towards the liberation of African women and girls. Nala Femme is a Pan-African front of feminist leaders with a mission to foster, embolden, and mobilize women and girls from Africa and the diaspora for transformative feminist change. I am ASHB, founder of Nala Femme, and on this first season of I Am Nala podcast, we talk to policymakers and activists to ask what should be done at COP27 taking place in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, in a few weeks. Thank you for tuning in and welcome back to I Am Nala podcast. Today, I have a special episode because I have not only one guest, but two incredible young women, Susan uh, Warimu from Kenya, 23 years old, and Kazi Bavuma from South Africa, also 23 years old. Uh, this is NALA delegation to COP27, among others. It's an eight-people uh, delegation. I'm really proud of all of you, especially that you're all young women under 24 and fierce climate justice activists. We're able to put together this delegation uh, with the support of Malala Fund, and we are purposeful, two of our partners, that we're grateful they've been able to support these young women to be at COP in Egypt. So, girls, welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. How are you feeling about meeting in person in a few weeks? It's uh, one of the moments I am looking forward to because getting to meet young African women who are passionate about issues of women and climate justice, I am so much excited to meet all of you. Amazing. Kazi. Thank you, Aya. And firstly, thank you so much for having me be a part of this space. Um, I still remember when I when we were first meeting and I was saying I was fangirling over the young women that I'll be meeting because we are all pioneers within our own, with our own spaces, within our own rights. And it's just so overwhelming, but in a good way to be so welcomed and be a part of a space whereby young women are actually a part of a conversation that actually matters. A hundred percent. I agree. So this podcast name is I Am Nala, just like our book uh, called I Am Nala. I want to ask each of you, why do you think you are Nala? You know, in, in my chapter in the book, I write, I am Nala because I found power in my voice. You know, I have always felt powerless. And once I really found my voice, I found my identity and I became loud and never silenced again. That is why I feel I'm Nala. I'm fierce. I'm a lioness. So maybe you start by telling me I am Nala because, and then tell me more. Uh, we'll start with you, Kazi. Thank you, Aya. I am Nala because I am authentic. I love the fact that I bring an authentic, unconventional, yet needed perspective in our spaces. And when I started to engage with Nala Fem, I started to find this sisterhood and I felt so welcomed. And it's so hard being a part of a space where young women are able to just find themselves and engage with each other without having to find some kind of form of power dynamic. And if you put that aside, it's also important that you are able to look beyond those power dynamics and actually 
engage in the conversation and talk about things that matter to you as a woman, as an African woman, because there's no one else that is able to advocate for those issues and problems that you yourself face in your everyday life. And that is very important, being able to not just address the issue, but be able to resonate with that issue so that it is something that when you bring out your voice, it's not plastic, it's not fake. It's something that it is within your core. And as you said, um, um, Aya, it's made your voice become powerful even more. And that is why I I, I love Nala Fem to the point of I, we have this sisterhood. I, I love this sisterhood that we have and I'm really excited for COP and meeting you all in person. Thank you. Amazing. What about you, Susan? I believe I am Nala because I found power in my story. I believe that in my story, I could get out from a point which no one could believe in my, in me and uh, getting to believe in myself and using my story to help other people believe in themselves and uh, just taking charge of who they are and who they believe they are, despite of where they are from, despite of what people see them, but just taking yourself in your story because I believe that we as young people should believe in ourselves we as young people should take charge of whatever it is that we are in and that it is in your story that you get to uplift someone else it is in your story that you actually get to change your community so for me basically just being able to embrace my story and using it as a source of inspiration to other young people and giving them an opportunity to tell their stories for me I think covers everything about Nala and just being part of this platform, also using my story to be able to reach the larger African young women to tell their stories and believe in themselves. That's why I am Nala. Thank you, Aya. I'm sure everyone listening now wants to know your story, Susan. So tell us a little bit more about the amazing work you do, but also where does it start? Because you do have a really personal story that um, gives you the strength, you know, to get up there in the community and do the work you do. My story is that of um, a young teen girl raised in a slum with so much hope and belief to want to change her community, to want to change her life, to want to change the status quo of her mom, because I was raised by a single mother in an informal settlement here in Kenya, which we call a slum. And basically just being able to see the environment and wanting to change the status and being exposed to so much at the age of 17, while in my high school, getting to finalize my high school, I got pregnant. I became one of the statistics of young girls who got pregnant while in school. And as society dictates that that means that's the end of your dream. That means that now you have to get your child and live the life of any other girl who gets pregnant at a young age. 
but having gone through all this disappointment, all this frustration, everyone getting to say like you're an outcast, getting to say like you will not achieve your dream, I decided that this is not going to limit me. I had so much dreams before getting pregnant. Why not bring myself back? Why not use this experience to be able to make the best out of my life? I wanted to change my community. I was very passionate about becoming a journalist just being able to highlight stories of change makers in my community. But now I couldn't do that because the pregnancy affected my academics. So that meant I couldn't join a university to be able to pursue a degree in journalism. So I decided why not use my story just to be able to encourage other teen girls who got pregnant like myself and tell them that despite us being teen moms, we can actually change our status. We can actually achieve that which we wanted before the pregnancy. And just being able to use my story and all the experience as a preventive measure to other adolescent girls who are in school that Susie went through this. Susie went through so much frustration. Susie went through so much depression at a very young age. Susie got exposed to a lot of things. Susie was not able to smile as she is smiling today. And I still don't want you to go through that. Can we be able to make wise decisions about our life? Can we be able to say that which we want and actually get get our education in place and be able to make the best out of myself. So I decided to use my story, to use my experience, to be able not to be one of the statistics of other girls, but to be a change maker. And you are, you are absolutely a change maker and your story is so inspiring. Is that of resilience and is of many girls in Africa, actually, not only in Kenya, who really find power. I don't know how, you know, to continue and to thrive and to rise. And um, we want to learn more from you on how you're doing what you're doing today. And going to COP, that's big, you know, and, you know, to tell other girls that you can still have a voice at global stage and you can still advocate. I want to come to you, Kazi, uh, to tell us your story. Firstly, it was so hard to kind of find my voice in how I can go about the work that I do because the work that I'm currently doing right now is unpacking and co-creating Afrocentric knowledge through the climate action lens. And it is a very specific scope to look at, more especially in the African, more especially South African context, because the knowledge that is Afrocentric is very limited. It is limited to the vast majority, which is our young people. And it is a scary fact for young females like us because there is not much to work with now because of the investigating and unpacking that we've done so far with the, with the knowledge that we have so far. So we took it to ourselves to go out to our elders and seek refuge to them with going beyond what we have now, which is very limited, and seek their help in the Climate Justice Act in terms of the knowledge that they had, that they were so privy of, and how they were able to mitigate and adapt to the conditions that they lived in through their own African context. Because in today's modern society, it is easy to succumb to 
all these technological things that can help us with climate change. But for the people that are on the ground in the, lo in the local and rural areas, they don't have those resources to adapt and mitigate to said changes of climate change. So it's hard for them to even engage in the space, let alone have access to these resources. So for them to know this knowledge, that's a different story. And that is what we're trying to do right now. Provide a platform for them where they can have the conversation and let people know of their context on how they are trying to mitigate and fight for their climate justice. So within the Afrocentric context, we would do generational gatherings with the elderly people in communities. And it would be so authentic, very engaging with the people of the community and how they used to live their lives in my mother's generation, in my grandmother's generation. And you'd find so much similarities that the one thing or the main things that would stand out are the core values and principles that they find so important in every work that you do, in everything that you do, even conversing. That is why for them, identity is very important when you engage in a conversation with someone because if you identify yourself that is how you are able to relate or find resonance with common issues that you face as an African. So it was easy for them to find common issues that they can engage in within a provided space and that is what we have tried to provide for them. And it was an eye-opener for myself because it was an overwhelming space to first hold and also engage in. But it was shoes that I had to grow into. And I, I'm very proud of myself. And I'm very proud of the team that I had to work with because it is so overwhelming having to be a young African woman that can take up so much power with certain people and give certain influence to said people and be able to hold that and have them trust you. That is a different wavelength, especially if it's African people that know that you are trying to make a difference in your communities. So that for me is, is, is where I am so far with the work that I'm trying, trying to do. And we are definitely very, very proud of you. Um, I'm, I'm really, I want us to kind of unpack for people listening to us, because we talk a lot in our African spaces about decolonization and Afrocentric knowledge and Afrocentric solutions. And when we compare that and when we say it with, uh, you know, Eurocentric way of doing, you know, people... Sometimes they don't know, sometimes they fake, they don't know, you know, that uh, they are, we live in a world that is very Eurocentric and that is very US-centric. So maybe you can unpack a little bit in the work you do, and especially in the climate uh, conversation. What does it mean when we say we are trying to hold space that is Afrocentric and trying to dig back to our Afrocentric knowledge in order to address today's challenges and that solutions that come from any other part of the world, you know, trying to be enforced on us or trying to kind of strip people of their agency that we do have the solutions and we, we are leading them already. You know, what, what does that mean concretely? And how are you wanted to take that into COP now? You know, because you will be in a room with thousands of people, you know, who would, who might not think the same and who would think, no, that's not, uh, the solution should not be maybe Afrocentric. What's your comment on that? 
So what is known about the knowledge of climate change? If you were to go on Google right now and type climate change, you would probably find ice glaciers melting or the sea levels rising, whereas in the, South, in the African context, the, the temperatures are rising. There are more droughts. There are more wildfires where we are. And through that context, it is not easy to explain those issues where it is just one aspect that is being focused on and try to have this other aspect come into the space. Because for a lot of people, the information that is out there, it is very Eurocentric. And that is because the solutions as well are Eurocentric. Whereas people find Afrocentric knowledge not to have the problem having to also have in a, a solution to it. Whereas we have people within certain generations that have lived through some certain generations with similar issues that they had lived through and were able to mitigate and adapt to them with Afrocentric knowledge and trying to find a space within COP and make that a conversation. It is where we need to try and convince them to say, look, we are not trying to say that this is the only thing that's happening, but you need to also take focus on what is happening in Africa as well. And what is happening, it is happening rapidly. It is happening to people that aren't able to advocate for themselves. They are people that don't even know or are aware of the dangers. And that is another issue. Whereas we are so used to having one certain aspect of information about issues that we can't focus on another issue and work on the problem-solving aspect of it because we are so used to what is known now, what is literally being forced to us to see right now. And if we can take a look into the other aspects, the other side of the world, and say, this is what's happening in the African context, and this is what we need to sort out, because if this is not fixed, these are the repercussions that we will face. So to European and African leaders at COP27, what do you think, uh, you know, based on the work you do in the community, that should be their one to three priorities? Thank you, Aya. It would definitely be more community engaging with stakeholders that is trying to look into the bottom-up perspective instead of the top-down method of the implementation of policies that are being implemented in communities that speak about the environment and how the upkeep of it is being handled by said stakeholders in each communities because you'd get that there's a certain disconnect of communication or the line management and how resources are being spread out or how information is being spread out to the vast majority of communities. And that would be an issue that is being caused because the information is coming from the top-down method, whereas if there's an implementation of 
what is being needed and this is the voice of the community that is advocating for this and local government stakeholders can bring this message up to top government this is where proper implementation of policies can be put because the voice of the people is come is 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 being stipulated within policies within the bills that are being drafted for the people that have been trying to address these issues so i would advise them that that is the main priority that they need to look into that is the communication breakdown and the certain line management method that they use because you'd get that it is top down whereas it needs to be more hands on and more intimate with local government because it has a close direct link to its people and if you have if you have the voice of the people you win you are on the right track and for people that are politicians people stakeholders in general that is how you actually get your buy in in the community that is how you get to win the people of the community that is how you win their trust and many people can say it works for them and can advocate for it because if it was the other way around you would get the inverse of it and i say this because communities don't realize or don't recognize the power that they have in terms of being able to mobilize themselves being able to get their own voices out there but the channels that they use it 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 sometimes becomes worrisome because of their frustrations not being able to being voiced out where it needs to be heard so of course they'll lash out but if they had proper engagement proper participation from people that are public officials then the conversation can be had i love what you said about the voice of the people if you have the voice of the people you win 100% susan i want to come to you uh, also to ask on your message or call to action to african and european leaders at cop but especially you know, those who don't take young people seriously, right? They think young people don't have the experience, young people, it's not your time now, you know, um, uh, you don't understand the issue and, and so on. You're, you're too young, right? But yet here you are, you know, your story and your journey, you have taken so much responsibility at a young age and you have gone through so much at a very young age. So what is your message to those who think young people don't have agency, basically? So I would want us to look at it this way. We are having young people, including the ones in the podcast today, who are spearheading conversations. When you go on Twitter, when you go on Facebook, on Instagram, most of the people who are spearheading conversations on social, economic, and environmental justice are young people. These are global African young people who believe in the power of Africa. I myself, if we take an example, I looked at the problem that is in my community. I saw the problem is teenage pregnancy. I was just done with high school, no campus education, but I said I am going to use my experience to bring about change. And leadership is all about influence. If we can take an example of Suzanne, if we can take an example of Aya, if we can take an example of Kazi, who are influencing not just their communities, but Africa at large, 
then why should we not have us at the tables of decision making? Why should we not have us at COP27 addressing the issues that young African women become very vulnerable to when we have cases of climate justice? We have young women and girls who are exposed to gender and sexual violence because one, we are we seem as very vulnerable. And uh, at times I find myself when I am in places trying to influence the community, I am told, hey, Susie, you are very young and you are a woman. But indeed, I have what it takes to influence. It has been three years of running my organization, Inspire Teenagers. And just being able to see that uh, we are having adolescent girls and boys who are transformed. We are having them being confident, having a high self-esteem and being able to make decisions about themselves. That is leadership number one, because it is this young person that you have influenced who is going to influence other people. And if we are having change at our local and community levels, then it means that we have what it takes to actually influence people at COP27. And for me, my call to action would be Young people have what it takes. We have what it takes. And specifically, young African women have what it takes. And if we could have more opportunities like what Nala is actually creating for young people to be able to express, to share our stories and to tell stories of other young people. Because back in Kenya, there are young women who want to tell their stories but they can't. But on a daily basis, I meet them. I hear their stories. I hear their needs. So it takes one person to get a collective voice of other young people and be able to express it so that we can be able to bring about change. And um, now that uh, climate change and climate conversations are undergoing, can we create more conversations? Can we create more spaces and involve young global African leaders? Thank you. I like how you describe African youth as global because it's that's who we are. We are borderless, you know, uh, we live in a borderless world. So I, I want to conclude with both of you by uh, each of you sharing maybe a song or a sound that you are, it's, it's kind of empowering you now to, until you arrive to Sharm el-Sheikh to cop. It's like something, it's echoing in your head and you're like, this is going to keep me going. Thank you, Aya. This is actually a short saying and I have to actually, it's Watintabafazi, Watintimbokot. We strike a woman, we strike a rock. And I've had heard that phrase throughout my life. My mother is a pioneer in her own space. My Both my grandmothers were pioneers in their own spaces. And for me, that was very empowering having to be raised by such powerful women. I can only imagine if I... I'm making them proud today. And the second one, I got to hear from my boss, from my organization that says, empowered women, empower women. And that's stuck with me ever since. And it just 
it rang in my head that I have this mission as a woman. I have been empowered. Therefore, I need to empower those that are yet to discover their own power. And for me, that was just, wow, that was I'm still trying to find this 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 power that I have and just being able to tap into it now, it just makes sense that there's a need for young people like I like like ourselves to engage with each other and be able to lean on each other because when we get to COP, we will be so overwhelmed with these people in high places with people that have important um, positions and we will be the people that are just looked down upon, truth be told, because we have these strong messages that will be coming with. And therefore, we need to empower ourselves to empower others. Well, so for me, uh, I believe we have not been heard and it is our time to be heard. And one thing I live by is uh, I always say there is power in stories. There is power in your story. Tell your story to whoever it is. Write your story to whatever it is because you don't know who's listening. You don't know what your story on climate change is going to affect the global leaders that will be coming for COP27. You don't know your story on how a young African leaders are being left aside in conversations of um, change making. So just tell your story. You never know. Just say it as it is. Be as authentic as it is. Tell it from the deepest part of yourself because the fact is you never know who's listening to your story. And I think I'll carry that to COP27 and come back and tell the story of COP27. That's amazing. I think we still need to find a song for all of us that we can sing at COP27. Uh, but you both are <laughs> you both are, are incredible, powerful, badass change makers. So I'm I'm really, really proud of both of you and I really look forward to what you will be advocating for and shaking things up in the corridors of COP27. We come to the end of our podcast. I want to thank Susan and Kazi for joining us today. I hope everyone listening will follow your journey to COP27 in just a few weeks. Uh, you are listening to I Am Nala podcast and I will see you in the next episode. <laughs>